This episode is a continuation of our conversation with Bernie Haffey that explores more on the importance of the voice of the customer. For part one of our conversation, check out the link in the description. I'd like to touch on customer uh, just just for a bit because uh, I think uh, that's uh, kind of the Uber stakeholder and many companies fail to bring the customer into the room or into your language, into the ivory tower. They're looking at the competition. They're looking at the market. They're looking at technology. Uh, they're drawing up, you know, three, five year strategic plans mm-hmm. and uh, generating, a, you know, uh, uh, hundreds of PowerPoint slides and, and, and believe that they're, you know, kind of doing their job. But companies that are effective are intimate with their customer. And, and in the sessions that I run now, and I've since um, moving into career 2.0, I've helped over 50 organizations implement uh, their, uh, their, uh, their company's high performance management system based on these, uh, on, on these principles. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, with the way we go about that um, is, you know, surveys, interviews, again, on a willingness to recommend as an output of the experience and then no kidding, understanding empirically to the best you're able to do, uh, you know, the kind of the one thing or two things that are going to have the most impact on that future willingness to recommend. I wrote in the book about a story, a company called Intralays. This was a company that uh, uh, I was um, an executive VP and we went from venture to IPO to a, $800 million uh, exit uh, with a femtosecond laser for generating the corneal flap for LASIK. Mm. When we launched the product, it was a, a 10 kilohertz uh, rep rate and about a two minute corneal dissection. Customers weren't very happy with that. The metal blade that we were replacing was about eight, 10 seconds of flap. And so busy surgeons said, hey, you know, I like the safety. I like the idea of, uh, and it makes intuitive sense, but I, I just can't, I don't have that kind of time in my, uh, in, in, in my schedule. And so, um, yeah, we Pareto their input speed of the system was number one, uh, short version of the story. we went from 10 to 15 to 30 kilohertz and we got the flap time down to about 30 seconds, uh, which was getting, you know, we, closer to their desired state. And, um, and then, uh, you know, before a, a, a strategy refresh, we, we would always survey our customers and we surveyed the 30 kilohertz customers. And, uh, and guess what? At 30 kilohertz, speed of the system was still the number one opportunity for imp- improvement. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, R&D wanted to go on to other things. You know, they had worked their butts off on speed and kind of felt that they were done with speed and they could go to patient interface or user interface or reliability, which was an issue at the time. But the client as, didn't as well. That. What's that? So, but the client, the market, the client didn't. I remember in the pre uh, session with, with Bob, our CEO, and, and Shelly, our CFO at the time, and Charlene, who ran operations and R&D. Uh, and again, I was chief commercial officer and saying, yep, this is what the cust- this is the voice of customer. 
And it was so compelling because we did the work so well. We looked at both score and correlation to willingness to recommend. So not just level, but what is the relationship between that, uh, that, that item, in this case, speed, and their willingness to recommend in the future. And I said, it's still speed. And, um, and, and so we need, to, we need to double it again. We need to get to 60 kilohertz. And R&D said, well, you know, that's not possible. Um, you know, the diodes are going to catch fire. This laser was never even built to go at 30 uh, we knew kind of behind the scenes that a couple brilliant physicists had one running at 60 in the basement of the, of the building. So we had a little bit of inside um, information, at least it was technically possible. And, and there was a bunch of debate among the executive team around what the priority should be for that year going forward. And, and, and thanks to Bob who, believe, you know, as a system guy is what I mentioned in the basketball analogy. He said, we're going to continue to improve the speed of the system. And you, and you can't, you have to do that at the expense of other things, right? Um, if, if everything's a priority, nothing's a priority, right? And one of the core quality principles I believe in and write about is the Pareto principle, right? What are the 20% of the items that are going to close 80% of the gap? In this case, it was clear that, you know, that, that, it was the speed of the laser. We got to 60 kilohertz and, we, and it was transformational for the company. We got the flap time down to pretty close to what the metal blade was. Uh, I still remember customers, specific customers that at the launch of 60 kilohertz, we were able to go to and say, okay, hey, Carrie, hey, Robert, um, we're now at 60 and are you ready to, 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 to make this, 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 this transition? And since we made the bulk of our margins on procedures on the patient, the disposable patient interface, it was transformational for us financially as well as an organization. Uh, but that wasn't, it wasn't, the mantra wasn't, you know, sell more lasers, sell more procedures. It was more understand what is going to drive customer satisfaction, customer willingness to recommend, uh, and work relentlessly on that. And, um, and, and let, you know, I'd like to say t- let the rep take care of itself, but it's never that kind of elegant, right? I mean, this is management theory. In practice, as public companies, in both cases of these, you know, we had end of quarter, we had results that we had to 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 uh, achieve in order to you know meet Wall Street expectations and everything else. But it was a lot easier. You know, there was a pull, not just a push, if you were in the system. So we had customers increasingly willing willing to recommend and you know in both the summit case and the intralase case we're talking about four or five hundred thousand dollar lasers no mm-hmm. surgeon no ophthalmic surgeon anywhere in the world makes a four or five hundred thousand dollar purchase without talking to a friend right without talking to somebody who already has it uh and uh and and asks about you know the, the product and what it's like to be served by that particular company. And so, um, so yeah, a customer is, uh, it's and critical voice, to bring that customer in the room. Voice of the customer in that scenario is, uh, is obviously the, the physician and the, the practitioner, but ultimately the patient. And when I had my Lasix done, which it's your eyes, it's, you know, I took that extremely seriously. And from a system standpoint, 
I went and looked at different potential providers of that service and what their outcomes were. And yep. there were some places that were, you know, 80, 86% positive outcomes. And the place that I went to was like 98 point whatever. And I was like, well, why is that? They said, because we know what we're doing. We have a great product. And if you're not a good patient, then we'll recommend you don't do it. We, we only deal with patients that we know most likely we're going to have a great outcome. And I was like, yep. okay, that's where I'm, that's where I'm going. And then you're talking about speed and all of that would have happened. I back at a time when I would have had no idea or not been cognizant of aware of any of that, but everything that you're saying, I went in and the procedure was over like that. It was incredible how quick it was and how easy it was. And if anybody asked me about that after, I would tell them what a great experience I had and how much it's in a positive way changed, uh, you know, my visual experience. So, yeah, well, that, that, that's a great example. And and uh, uh, but, you know, from just I guess from from my view and so fundamentally, the customer is the person that writes the check. <laughs> right. And so in the in these laser examples, it it was the ophthalmologist or laser chains. Uh, but for those practices, it because it's the patient and so and so and so yeah, yep. either payment plan or you pay cash. Yep. Yeah. Or so I think it. There've been a few, um, you know, friends uh, that physicians who. Who, who have adopted uh, this system and this approach. And of course they, they measure um, employee satisfaction, they measure patient satisfaction and they practice continuous improvement of both. And, and guess what, you know, the results take off, right. Um, without saying, Hey, we need to, you know, we need to sell, you know, more cataract surgery or we need to sell more uh, corneal refractive surgery. It's, we're going to have the best people and we're going to really understand the things that drive patient satisfaction. Interestingly, uh, in having done a few patient satisfaction surveys, the number one dissatisfier is wait time. That makes sense. And, and so, because it's disrespectful, if I, if I'm there on time for an appointment, particularly for an elective procedure like LASIK, and I've got to wait a half an hour, 45 minutes, whatever, um, that's going to really dissatisfy me and, and turn me off from the practice. And so it's, it's often not, it's sometimes not what you think it is until you, until you measure it. And, to, and then once you measure it, understand it, uh, you know, uh, uh, deeply. And then once you once you understand it, you can, you can do something about it. But too many practices, you know, and I think it's even more common in the medical field. They have, they have no concept of of how satisfied their patients are and what they need to improve that experience, what they need to do to improve that experience. I think that is completely right. So smart, and that is why, from my perspective, outcomes, tracking your outcomes, and and then measuring and adding analytics so that you can really determine why your best practices are your best practices. Mm -hmm. And in terms of, I look at it from, from what we do, 
and how we're trying to bring value really change the candidate experience um, in a very positive way and help companies protect their value prop in it. You know, I think that's a, a really important, uh, a really important piece. If you're not looking and tracking that information, then you don't even know where your blind spots are. That's right. That's exactly and, and right. For everybody that we partner with on a company side, and I look at it's it's a it's a balance, right? Because we're we're trying to help people with career advancement opportunities that are relevant to them by helping them do that and bring positive products to patient populations. And so the company writes the checks, but they're both key stakeholders. And to the point of why I think what you do, your book, and how you look at this is so important is if a company looks at their quality management system on whatever the product is that they're manufacturing or the service they're providing. And we all know that if you're not measuring that and it's not good and then the FDA shuts you down and you have to have recalls, all those things are huge in terms of the pain points to the patient and, and then the financial piece. But if how you treated, I think the most important asset any company has are its people and yes. the talent. So if your quality management system relevant to how you treat people that are exploring your company, when you do an interview, how quickly you give them feedback, when you decide you want to interview them, how long does that take? If you're not measuring and looking outcomes from that standpoint, I think that's a huge mistake. And yep. then secondly, if that were the same as your quality management system for your product, would that be a good thing or a bad thing? Be a powerful thing, right? Um, right. Because quality, quality is something that you should practice everywhere in every corner. Of of, of 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 the building and externally as as well and again that was the transformation for me i was um you know i had been to I have a business school uh, masters from a top school and was a product manager at hewlett packard in their medical products group years ago and and then again i mentioned the role i had in uh, in the intraocular lens uh, space but but nobody ever along that journey um nobody taught quality practices quality principles and somehow when i learned them i had a visceral reaction similar to what i think you had in reading the book yeah that makes sense that just makes so much sense and it's common sense too that that's how but it makes so much sense that's how i'm going to lead going forward they're they're um i, think I can't think of another, about, an, another way i think you talk about in the book if i remember correctly how this was being presented at an executive meeting and you know the 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 key few priorities um you say it a, a specific way which um vital and, few yeah yeah the vital few and you went to the ceo and said hey i don't know what everybody else is going to do but we're going to adopt that and do that right now because That's it right. makes yeah. absolute sense. Yeah. That, that, was, um, that was Dick Palermo who uh, conceived the, this, this system while an executive at, at Xerox when Xerox was faced with competition from Japan for the first time. And um, up till then they had been, a monopoly as 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 you might recall and and um 
and they were they they were um, you know people heavy process light um, high cost. In fact, when the Japanese incumbents entered this market in the eighties, they were selling uh, copiers for less than Xerox cost of goods sold. The Japanese copiers were easier to use and they were more reliable. And so, uh, so the kind of the red siren went off and at Xerox headquarters, David Kearns was the CEO at the time. And he turned to Palermo who was a chief marketing officer, but also had a background in engineering. He was a optical, um, engineer trained in Rochester and, and, uh, and he said, Dick, I, I want you to go benchmark the Japanese and come back um, to Xerox and, and, and help me transform Xerox into a company that's a lot more like those nimble, high quality, low cost uh, Japanese companies and a lot less like the, the bloated organization, disconnected organization, siloed organization that... Um, that we, we have at, at Xerox. And that, that journey initially took Dick to University of Tokyo, to Professor Ishikawa's group, who turns out was translating Deming and Duran into Japanese and teaching, <laughs> teaching American uh, 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 originated quality principles and practices um, to the Japanese. But you can, uh, I consider Deming and Duran to be uh, sort of the founding fathers of, 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 of quality, quality management, quality thinking. Uh, but the current, you know, currently, if you look at Toyota uh, as the number one car manufacturer in the world, you can trace its success to a deep belief in, in, in those, in, in those principles and, pra- and, and practice in their Toyota production system, again, it's a system mm-hmm. uh, for their, you know, for their success. And U.S. companies have had, you know, sporadic attempts um, at, uh, at 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 reaching that level of, I think, in your words, total quality. Uh, but it's it can't be sporadic. It has to be constant. Um, it has to have a higher purpose I, I, you might you might recall uh, you know and I might be dating myself here but you know there was a, a period at Ford where they realized the gap and said their their slogan was quality is job number one I don't know if you remember that I remember that and, and it, it was you know that great slogan and as you know Deming actually I wouldn't say he abhorred slogans but he he heavily discounted slogans like you can say that, but um, do you really mean it? And and do you really practice it? And um, and and do you um, and do you have a you know a system through which you know those muscles can be strengthened? You know, we we're talking about practice in sports, having a common language, having a common approach, and just practicing it, practicing it. And just building that muscle over time to where, no kidding, it's a competitive advantage. It's a competitive advantage for Toyota. It was a competitive advantage for us at Intralays, the company I've spoken about a few times here. Um, a lot of people look at the Intralays story and they say, well, you know, they were successful because they had the first femtosecond laser 
take, they commercialized the first femtosecond laser technology on the planet. And so they were successful. That that's not true. I mean, it, 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 well, it is true that we had the, we were the first in the world to commercialize a laser with a pulse duration at 10 to minus 15 seconds. That's true. But our success was probably more to do with our adherence to this management system and, and our belief in the management system than it was the tech, you know, the technology itself. There are, there are three or four other companies that, you know, had femtosecond technology at the time, but they didn't have a system. And so we beat their pants off. I, I think that's so, I think that's so true. And when I moved into this world of, of, uh, you know, entrepreneurship and recruiting, which I'd never been in before, um, my mom was like, Hey, what do you, you get? Okay. You're going to do this. You're going to do commercial roles, sales, business, all marketing. I said, no, I'm going to, um, we're going to start with quality. She's like, well, what do you know about quality? Well, I mean, not a lot relevant to making or manufacturing anything from a clinical standpoint. I felt that that segue would, would make sense. And, and it, and it did people that are in quality and people that generally care about the end product. They care about, and I personally think, and you mentioned this earlier in, in a sense, I mean, quality should be every single person at the company is a stakeholder for quality um, for, for the company. And so I, there are a lot of people that are in the medical world, medical companies, because they care about the end result. They care about how it benefits patients. And so from a clinical standpoint, and you look at how you should do things, whether we're talking about a surgeon or an outpatient center, um, you, you don't want that quality management system to be good one day and not good the other. You, right. you know, whether it's your mother, your uncle, somebody else's mother or father, consistency in how you do that relevant to outcomes. And those outcomes are a lot different than, you know, going to a fast food place and whether or not the fountain drink works that day or not. Right. Well, Darwin, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for, for having me on uh, this, uh, this webcast. Uh, I'm excited about Sure Solutions more now than ever and can't wait to see where, where you go with your, with your business uh, based on your, your belief in all the same principles that, 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 that I believe in and that have been um, a cornerstone of, of, uh, of, of, of my success. So thanks again. And well, thank you. Thank you for being on. Thank you for, for, for what you do. And it's interesting. I, I mean, I've got clients that are doing great things, partner companies, and I'm like, they, they could, they could use this. And also thank you for being really an indirect mentor to me. And now, um, yeah, you know, a direct mentor, I, I hope to continue yeah. uh, to, to collaborate um, in a positive, mutually beneficial way. So thank you so much for uh, sharing your insights with our following and uh, we'd love to do it again in the future. For the video recording of this podcast, along with additional resources, make sure to find us on the web at SureigSolutions.com or follow us on LinkedIn at Shurig Solutions.